awesome. Hey, well, thanks for being at uh, uh, Pursuit. Is that what we call this? Pursuit Sunday morning. God's doing some incredible things here in the Northwest. And uh, we don't take ourselves really seriously here, but we take God really seriously. And uh, we are not impressed with us, but we are impressed with him. And God is doing good things in the Northwest. Uh, if uh, all you do is watch the news and stay on social media, then your depression and anxiety is self-inflicted. Okay? So time to log off. Time to shut down. Get a flip phone. Get off the internet. We got good news here. Jesus is on the throne. He's not subject to any Senate confirmation committees. He wasn't voted in. He won't be voted out. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not here to take sides. He's here to take over. And the kingdom of God is ever increasing. And to his increase, there is no end. And so in your life, you ought to just believe what God says to be true. And, 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 and don't dig up in doubt what God in your life has planted in faith. We are people of faith. And although we don't understand everything that happens on this side of eternity, that is part of what we have given up in pursuit of who he is. If you are looking for answers to all of the questions you have or check marks to all of the boxes that you've got, this Christian life will be sorely disappointing for you. It's not about us or what we lack. It is about his great sufficiency. So in Christian life, uh, there are two things that we are reminded of almost every day. Our great insufficiency and his all-encompassing sufficiency. And so we are founded and rooted in the idea that Jesus is still Lord. He was Lord yesterday. He's Lord today. In fact, I have it on pretty good record that he'll be Lord tomorrow. And his kingdom is unshakable. And so what we see in culture is shaking, but what we see in heaven is solid foundation. And so if you are rooted on what Christ has built, your life will also equally be unshaken. We have inherited an unshakable kingdom. Our riches are stored up in a place where moth and rust do not destroy, meaning this, we are heavily invested in other things. And so my hope is not connected to the stock market, a 401k, an increase, a decrease. It's not connected to what happens in the world around me. We are aware of what happens in the world around us, but my hope is rooted and grounded in heaven. And I'm here to tell you today that this is a place, this is a house where you can come fully alive to everything that God has spoken over your life. Why? Because we are here to do violence against the kingdom of darkness. They have gates. We don't. We are breaking in. We're setting people free. We're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so uh, don't put your doubt against my faith. Let's add our faith together this morning and believe that we're in the right place, the right house, at the right time, in the right year to see God do his best work. God is not waiting for your life to be perfect, for your city to be perfect, for your ideology to be perfect in order to break in and break out. He is the voice of many waters. And when he speaks, deserts become rivers. So I hope you believe that this morning. I hope you believe that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. I hope you believe in your life that although it's normal to bring out the best wine at first, he has saved the best for last. I hope you believe this morning that the glory of the 
latter is always greater than the glory of the former. We're not trying to go back to the good old days. We're in them. It's here. It's now. We're seeing the goodness of God break out all around us. Is everything perfect? Certainly not. But Jesus is on the throne. And when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, just like he's on the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving the glory of those who are gathered out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, an immeasurable amount of saints and angels who sing his worth when that Jesus sits upon the throne of your heart. You don't ever got to operate in insecurity because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You're on the right side. You ought to have your confidence stirred this morning. Some of you sitting in church today, you go, i never seen anything like this. Welcome to the club. God is at work in the Northwest. I know it could be depressing when you listen to all of the naysayers, but I'll tell you what, we still serve a God who answers by fire. We still serve a God who shows up in the middle of locked rooms, in the middle of graveyards, removing tombstones, calling people to new life. This is still the God we serve. He is not threatened by Caesar. He is not threatened by Inslee. He is not threatened by government officials. He is not threatened by edicts or mandates, and neither are we. This God is on the throne. Oh, and he's a jealous God, and he's coming for the praise and the affection of his people. In fact, he will not share you with any other lover. He will not share you with any other obsession or affection. He will not share you with any other. And I want to serve a God who is as passionately interested in my fullness of life as we see on the other side of the equation all the time. We serve an enemy who is unashamed of causing sickness and disease to multiply amongst people. We serve an enemy, or not we serve, but we have an enemy who is, who is unashamed of wreaking havoc in families. In fact, Scripture calls him the prince of the air. Because people have made agreements <clears throat> with entities, principalities, and powers that, have, that has given a defeated foe more power than he ought to have in our world today. We, serve it. we have an enemy who is unashamed of wreaking this type of chaos, sowing seeds of discord, causing churches to shut down, pastors to leave the ministry, marriages to break up. We have an enemy who is unashamed of doing those things. And I want you to imagine for a moment this morning that we have a God who to the infinite degree is more interested and more powerful in reversing every curse that the enemy has put on your life. Scripture says this, what the enemy meant for evil, watch, Joseph says this to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God will use for good. Hey, God, God, is, God is using what the enemy meant for evil to shame the enemy. And that's why, that's, why, that's why Scripture says that the truth will set you free. When you start speaking the truth of God over your life and your family, what you have is freedom from stuff that's held you back. We just got to agree with what God says about who we are, what type of people we're going to be, what type of church we're going to have. Some people talk about healing. They go, well, maybe it's going to happen if God's in a good mood. No, he's in a good mood. And maybe he's not in a good mood all the time, but he's in a good mood 9 and 11 on Sunday morning here in Snohomish. I'll tell you that much. And so we're going to go after healing. 
We're not going to be sheepish. We're not going to say, God, if we beg and we hope and we just need bread. God, if you're really... No, his kingdom come, his will be done in this place, even as it's being done in heaven. God has given us authority to execute the business of heaven. I don't have to guess what the business of heaven is. I've got a book that lets me know. The book lets me know it's healing, it's deliverance, it's salvation, it's restoration. So we're going to go after that unapologetically every Sunday. Because we've got an enemy who goes apologetically after the things of darkness every day as well. you got a Bible, turn to Matthew uh, 13. Matthew 13. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 13, is telling a story about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the obsession of the teaching of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about the kingdom of heaven all the time. Uh, the synoptic gospels in particular, but the four gospels uh, more broadly that we have in the New Testament give us these four unique perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, we know very little about his life outside of the prophetic fulfillment in association with his birth until he turns about 30, is baptized in the Jordan River and begins his public ministry. After he begins his public ministry, we have about three and a half years of teaching chronicled in the four gospels. And in that teaching, a majority of that teaching is focused on the kingdom. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is the rule, reign, and authority of Christ. It is both here and it is coming here. I subscribe to inaugurated eschatology in the tradition of people like George Ladd, the idea that the kingdom is here, but it is also coming here. We have kingdom authority and we are growing in kingdom authority. The earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness there within, and we are growing in that direction. And so what you see around you is not all that there will ever be, but you don't operate in some sort of inferior authority waiting for Jesus to come rescue you out of your basement where you're hiding, waiting for the world to get worse. So you've got authority now to operate in the Father's business, bringing his kingdom to earth. There is also a kingdom that is coming, which is already here, but it is also on the way. And that's part of what it looks like to embrace the mystery of following Jesus. We want easy answers, but it's not what we've signed up for. We want scientific conclusions, but it's not what we've signed up for. God works in ways that confound your mind to prove to you this one central fact. You don't know what on earth is going on. You think you do, but you don't. You think you've got it figured out, but you don't. You've got a nice system for your nice theology, for your nice box, until what? Crisis happens, and you don't know anything. And Jesus shows up in the middle of your mess and says, you know what? I'm not going to answer your questions. I'm going to minister to your heart. Because at the end of your life, you don't need more answers. You need more Jesus. And so as you draw near to him and he draws near to you, what you recognize is that the altar that you built to the questions that you have asked is burned up in his presence. I've got less questions, but I've got more Jesus. In Matthew 13, watch what Jesus says. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Earlier in Matthew 13, the Bible says this, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them 
in parables. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Right, let me tell you this this morning. You have been entrusted with things that other people haven't. The kingdom of heaven is a mystery that has been revealed in and through your Christ followership. The kingdom is incomplete without the church, but the church is non-existent without the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are not the same thing. However, the kingdom is an incomplete kingdom without a church. But the church is a non-existent church without the kingdom. They both work in tangent with one another. Sometimes people ask me, they go, are you like a church guy or are you like a kingdom guy? I go, there aren't any stupid questions, but there are stupid people, and you might be one of them. Because we are creating a difference without a distinction. <laughs> it's not either or, it's both and. I'm in the church because I'm in the kingdom. I believe in the kingdom because I believe in the church. They work in tangent with each other. And so the kingdom of God is the eternal reign and influence of Jesus. And what we do in the church is we pray and worship in the direction of his kingdom being manifest in our spheres of influence. So it's not enough for us to have a good meeting in this building. We want his kingdom to be manifest in your family, in your workplace, everywhere the sole of your foot treads. Because you don't just have authority in here, you have authority out there. Right? And so church on Sunday is a gathering of the saints to celebrate the ever-increasing, expanding kingdom that happened Monday through Saturday. It's not the one place you come to get up for air because the world is so terrible. No, we're coming to celebrate who Jesus is and reflect on the victory that we have Monday through Saturday. Now, not every week feels like victory, but when you're seated in heavenly places, you recognize that even my mistakes are covered by his grace. And God has this really funny way of taking things that are mistakes and turning them into the necessary ingredient for our victory. How many of you are glad this morning that when you make a mistake, God doesn't just say, well, sorry, guess you made a mistake, better luck next time. No, he actually uses that as the fuel. Why? Because a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And it's the getting back up that identifies them as being righteous. So you might be here today on your third marriage. Get back up. <laughs> You might be here today filled with depression, anxiety, in and out of every medical office. Get back up. You might be here this morning, feel like I've lost every job I've had, ticked off every person I know. I've got good news for you. You can get back up. And when you do, God imputes his righteousness to your account and presents you blameless before the throne. I got faults, but I'm blameless. I make mistakes, but I'm blameless. Why? Because I'm presented before the throne, covered in his blood, infinitely worthy of his affection. Oh, it's a real good day to be in church. The church is not just a slightly more spiritual version of a nonprofit community organization. We are not a soup kitchen with a worship service. We're not a homeless clothing drive with an inspirational message missing Jesus. We are ambassadors of heaven, bringing the rule, reign, and authority of the king to earth in a way that transforms the world. In Matthew 5, the 12 disciples are called disciples. But five chapters later in Matthew 10, Jesus uses a different word. 
he says these aren't just disciples, they're apostles. And what identified them as apostles was that they operated in the authority of Jesus to transact the business of heaven. See, Jesus put his hands on them and said, in the same way that I was sent, so I send you with the authority of heaven. And the Bible says from that place they went out and they cast out devils, they raised the dead, they tread on serpents, they healed the sick, the same things that Jesus was doing. Right, I'm telling you, you have been called to something more than mere discipleship. I don't want to discourage discipleship. I, we need that in our lives. But discipleship is what gets you started on the journey. And what it leads you to is a door of authority that when you walk through it, you go from watching the work of the ministry to doing the work of the ministry. I've been placed here to do something. And for you and I, man, we got to wrestle with some of these realities. It's not enough to sit on my couch and judge what everybody else is doing. Yeah, everybody else, everyone becomes experts on Sunday morning. They go home, they, they watch people play football, and everybody becomes an expert on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Well, why'd they run the ball? If they would have run the ball, I would have passed the ball. Why did they pass the ball? I would have done something different. You know, if I was there, well, you're not there. You're here. <laughs> you're working at the drive-thru, which is okay, but you're not there. There's something about perpetual observation that sows seeds of entitlement in our lives. All I've been is an observer. But Scripture says the man who observes but doesn't do is like one who looks in the mirror but forgets his reflection. And when you forget your reflection, all you have time to do is comment on other people's. Can I tell you something this morning? Stop being insecure that you're not liked by everybody. You don't even like everybody. You're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. You're in the right church, friend. You're in the right place, friend. We're doing this thing together. <laughs> if your discipleship doesn't lead you to a place of authority in Christ to conduct the business of heaven, you have missed out on what it means to be a spirit-filled believer. Friend, listen, don't reduce your Christianity to match your lack of authority. Instead, upgrade your Christ followership until you experience everything the Bible says you can have. I'm not going to reduce the sovereignty of God to my pitiful experience. Well, I prayed for somebody, but they didn't get healed, so I guess God doesn't heal. Or maybe his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are high above. Maybe, just maybe, he sees the end from the beginning. He's the infinite God. He has no beginning. He has no end. If he did, he'd be the Alpha and the Omega. He is that, and he's so much more. All of time stands and pays attention to him. He's outside of every box that you would ever try to put him in. But we get offended when he doesn't give us the 60-second microwave answer that we want. I put in my prayer at the altar. Where's my healing? I'm not sure because I'm not God, and neither are you. And that's important to remember. My job isn't to understand beauty, it's to gaze upon it. Yeah, we was in L.A. recently, spent some time on Rodeo Drive, some of the most expensive real estate in the world. They call it the Golden Triangle. And all the stores were, were closed because of uh, uh, what, yeah, COVID, this demon. Okay. Look, I'm not playing with sickness anymore. I'm not playing with sickness anymore. 
No, 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 no. We are called to heal the sick and raise the dead. I don't negotiate with darkness. We don't negotiate with these things. And we was in uh, 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 L.A. and, and uh, walking. All the stores were closed. We finally got to the end of the row. We found one store that was a little art studio, tiny little art studio. Never seen it before. I've been on that street several times. Never seen it before. We walk in. The art dealer's there. He says, let me show you around. Now, we are not dressed like people who can afford art. <laughs> we're dressed like people who caught the cheapest flight to L.A. to have a meeting. You know, we're not. He says, let me show you around. I said, well, what do these go for in here? What are the prices of these things? Oh, you know, they start at 50, 60, 70, 80,000. <laughs> we started walking around. He took us upstairs, one of the private rooms. He said, these are where we keep the Rembrandts. See, this is where Rembrandt painted his depiction of Christ on the cross. He took us to another one. This is where Rembrandt painted the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is where Rembrandt painted Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. And in those moments when you're staring at literal works of art from historical time periods, you're not trying to understand it. You're just trying to gaze upon it. And sometimes we come to church and we put on our academic intellectual hats and we try to understand everything that's happening. Well, why are the lights low? And why is the smoke on? And why did the worship pastor wear this? And why did Russell do that? And everything's crazy and everything offends me and I'm perpetually offended because I'm easily manipulated and everything is wrong about everything. And Jesus is like, I am the most beautiful diamond you have ever seen in your entire life. And you're so busy critiquing people on social media, you've missed out on the point of this service. This is the criticism of Jesus to the Pharisees. You search the scripture and you miss me. That's a word for the American church. You search church, but you miss Jesus. You got everything right, everything polished, everything smooth. You finally found a place that did everything like you exactly love it, but you've missed Jesus. Maybe he's in the places that make you uncomfortable. Maybe he's in the places that make things a little awkward. Maybe he's in the place where you don't quite understand it and quite conceptualize it. Maybe he's in those places. He's hiding inside rooms painted by people like Rembrandt. And he's asking you the question, will you gaze upon beauty? No, I'm too busy on Facebook. Fred, watch this. He's telling stories. Why? Because, because he says this. Not everyone who has ears hear. Not everyone who has eyes see. Why? Because Paul says it to the church this way. Only the spiritual mind can understand spiritual things. It's not time for us. We try to over-explain spiritual things to natural minds and wonder why people aren't getting touched by the Holy Spirit. Fred, I'm here to tell you today, until you let the King of Heaven take residence in your heart and in your mind, you'll miss out on what He has for you. No matter how perfect your church attendance is. I used to think that Jesus used these farming and agricultural analogies because that was the most prominent form of work in that day. But the more I understand about Jesus, the more I think that even if the scriptures were written today, Jesus would still talk about soil and seed. Why? Because God works in seasons. Now watch this, verse 25, verse 25. Watch what it says. Jesus is telling a story. Imagine Jesus, master communicator, master storyteller, gathering his people. They're wanting answers. 
What's the kingdom of heaven going to look like? When are you going to return the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to give us our country back? When are you going to give us our land back? When are you going to give us political power back? Listen, never, 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 never trade spiritual intimacy for political influence. It's a bad trade. It's a bad trade. No, 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 no. I don't worship at any other altar. I'm going to vote in the election. I'll be sure of that. But I don't worship at any other altar. Never get it twisted. Never get it twisted. Now watch what happens. Jesus is telling his disciples. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares. Some translations say weeds among the wheat and went away. Now when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now let me stop there in verse 25. Watch what the Bible says. While everyone was sleeping. Now sleep in this context is being used as a pejorative term, meaning used in a negative way. It's the same word that Paul uses to his letter, the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Sleep in this context means this, an indifference to spirituality, a slothful presence, or a yielding to sin. Don't allow the fact that everyone is sleeping to be the reason you miss your harvest. Everyone may be sleeping, but we've been awakened. See, here's the reality. Each of us have fallen asleep when we shunned. That's part of the human experience. But here's how good God is. Even though weeds got sown while the workers slept, the wheat is still sprouting. Which means this. When you make a mistake on the journey of your life, God doesn't hit the reset button and say, try again next year. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Meaning this, even in the midst of mistakes in the harvest field, God still causes wheat to come forth. I've said this before, but let me say it again. Take confidence this morning that you are not strong enough to screw up what God has foreordained in your life. The other servants came to him, verse 27. Some of us think we're too powerful. You live nervous, chronically anxious Christianity. Pastor, I said a curse word 37 weeks ago, and I just feel like God's canceled my destiny. <laughs> Who's told you that? Shut up. It's weird. Stop saying that. Well, Pastor, I made a mistake, and I, you know, I just feel disqualified, and I just, I, that, that's part of what it means to be human. That, that is what we share in commonality today, is insufficiency. You know what we also share? The great sufficiency of Christ. And if you make your life magnified around all your mistakes, you will always have an excuse for why you can't achieve. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm divorced, or I'm a woman, or I'm a man, or I've got these feelings, or I've made these mistakes, or I've got these attractions, or I've got these sin issues, or I've got these proclivities, or I've got, you know, people who talk about needing to be perfect prior to being called by God to do something significant are just people who lie about their own sin. Sometimes they project this perfect image. If you could just be like me and have it all together. And what does Paul say? In my weakness, his strength is made manifest. Meaning this, that your weakness tells a good story about God's strength. Because in his infinite wisdom, he divinely elected you in the midst of your weakness and uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong. 
or the foolish things of the world to confound confound the wise. That'll get you later, but just anyways. Okay. The same old, older servants came to him. Now watch this, verse 27. The same older servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Didn't you sow good seed in that soil? Where then did the weeds come from? Let me hit you with something. The same leadership environment that created Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John also gave us Judas. Meaning this, if you're trying to create a perfect harvest, you are setting yourself up for perpetual frustration. Like sometimes we think if God was in this, it would be perfect. No, if God is in this, it will end good. But on your road from where you're at to things ending good are going to be a whole lot of imperfections. It's like sometimes when I get done preaching, people come up to me, they go, Pastor, that was so good. That was all God. And I'm thinking, if that was all God, my God. <laughs> if it was all God, it would have been better than that. It's not. We, we think sometimes if God is in it, it makes it perfect. No, if God's in it, it makes it messy, but it also makes it worth it. Right? And so I know things are ending better than they started. I may not be where I should be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm in progress, developing, transforming into his image and into his life. It's not perfect, but I'm heading in the right direction. Sometimes when we think about the harvest, or sometimes people think, think this about church, you know, they give themselves an excuse to not be in church because they're like, that church, you know, they have hypocrites there. And I'm like, yeah, room for one more. Join us. <laughs> that church, you know, that church. I mean, they just, that church, they did some things. And they just, listen, I'm not advocating being a part of abusive churches or anything like that. I'm not saying, you know, you should turn a blind eye if things are wrong or things are, but if you're looking for a perfect marriage, a perfect church, a perfect friend, a perfect family, perfect kids, you won't find it here. What you'll find is real, transparent, honest, authentic people who know that we don't have it all together, but together we have him, and that's enough. Last week, uh, some of you guys know this about me, others of you don't, but uh, uh, last week we had a little bit of a situation, so I'm going to inform you uh, of, of some of that uh, today. But, but some of you know this about me. I enjoy, I mean, I really enjoy Spicy things, hot things, hot pepper. I'm not talking jalapeno. If you're a jalapeno, you're a junior. That, that's junior leagues. People say, oh, I got a jalapeno. No, no, no. I, even habaneros, they're a little lightweight for me. I love the hot peppers. And there's a new pepper that came out called ghost pepper. Ghost pepper. And, I, and on the Scoville rating, which ranks heat, I think it's about 2 million. Okay, and it's, it's like 2,000 times hotter than a jalapeno. I got a jar of them, and they're crushed up into peppers. Now, when I eat things like soups and, and different things, I'm always putting these peppers in. I like it. If it doesn't hurt, I don't like it. It's got to hurt. I love it. I love, the, I love the challenge of eating hot food. I just like it. So uh, uh, we got some chicken wings the other night, and I put some of this uh, 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 pepper on my chicken wings. Okay, And I'm eating it. It's hot. I love it. When you eat something real hot, about 10, 15 seconds in, you start to get a little lightheaded. 
you know? And that's when you know it's hitting right. That's when you know. So it takes you to the brink, and then that's when you know, not too much more, because I'll die, but right there is where I want to be. But here's my problem is um, now, uh, normally I have to put it away. It's in a sealed top. I put it away, make sure nobody gets access to it, because it can be, you know, it could mess you up if you don't know what you're doing. But I forgot to put it away. I forgot to put it away. And I, I didn't think anything of it, but we have a one-year-old at home. Now, she just learned how to climb up on the table. And so uh, we, was in, we was in L.A. We was in L.A., and all of a sudden, my wife texted me. She said, we got a situation. I said, well, I'm in L.A., so I don't, you know, I, I can't help you with that. I don't, what's going on? She said, Reagan, who's our one-year-old, she said she got into the ghost pepper this morning. I said, what happened? She climbed up on the table. She unwound the top, and she thought she would baptize herself <laughs> in the ghost pepper. It was in her eyes, her hair, her head. She screamed for an hour straight. Now, she probably won't be doing that again anytime soon. Had to have a bath, the full thing. Anyways, uh, our child has survived that incident. But I think about this in this context. Sometimes we go through difficult things, and we demonize third-party stuff. Like, it's not the fault of the pepper. Really, it's the fault of dad. Dad left it out. Dad forgot about it. The same pepper that I use to make my food taste the way that I want it is the same ingredient and the same pepper that was used to turn my one-year-old into a 911 urgent case for an hour screaming at the top of is the same pepper. It's the same thing. And sometimes in life, when we sign up to, to follow Jesus, what we fail to recognize is that the same gardener who puts fertilizer in our soil and helps us grow and develop and bear fruit is also the same farmer who loves us enough to cut off every branch that bears no good fruit. And sometimes if we're not careful, we begin to develop an agitation towards the process. And we don't begin to recognize that actually this environment is what is most helpful for who I am. No, I say, I can't go to church, man. Every time I'm there, pastor talks about something I'm going through. I can't go there. I can't come to God with my problems. Every time I, we develop this abrasion towards the things of God. Not recognizing that what we so loved yesterday is something that now is a point of pain today. Didn't you sow good seed in this field? I want you to see something. Just because you experience hardship or difficulty or bad seed doesn't mean the harvest is worthless. Sometimes we have this false expectation, like as long as I give my life to Jesus, I won't ever experience unexplainable difficulty. Friend, the cross doesn't eliminate your pain, it gives purpose to your pain. You know how you stay saved? One day at a time. You know how you stay sober? One day at a time. You know how you stay married, stay in faith, stay sane? You know how you go survive 2020? One day at a time. For whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy to be my disciple. Yes, there will be hardship, but friend, it's a great time to be part of the harvest. Let me share this with you and then we'll go end. 
Verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I found this. Watch. I learned recently that wheat and tares look alike when they begin to sprout up from the ground. But as each matures, the characteristics in each begin to change. When the wheat has matured, it bows its head low. But when the tares mature, they stand tall. This then makes the process of pulling the tares out easier as they have become identifiable. See, the tares don't bear any fruit and lack substance, but the wheat bears fruit or grain and is hunched over due to the weight. In their infancy, they were indistinguishable. But time revealed their true nature. Watch. I am not interested as a pastor in you having a good Sunday. I want you to live a transformed life. We've got good Sundays and we've got not so good Sundays. You've got good seasons and maybe difficult seasons. But if you want to be an individual who burns for Jesus your whole life, you've got to make a decision to marry the passion of your infancy to the maturity of your older years. See, it's not just enough to be mature without passion because then you're dead. But it's also not enough to be passionate without maturity because then you're a weed, you're not a wheat. And I think what God is doing in this church is he's marrying the maturity of the older generation with the passion of the younger generation. And what it's creating is a harvest in the Northwest. Isn't it interesting? Could you guys put that picture up one more time? Isn't it interesting that the, on the right, the wheat and the tares, man, they look very similar. But it's only once they reach maturity that the wheat bows low. Let me tell you, friend, in closing this afternoon, when your head is low, you can hear what's coming. You ever see those old movies? They're doing the robbery of the trains and people put their ear to the ground so that they could hear what's coming from a long ways off. You know, that's how we develop vision. We put our ear to the ground to hear what the Father has said. I hear it coming. I hear revival coming. I hear it. I've heard the sound. I hear it. I hear renewal coming to the Northwest. That's why I can't get discouraged. That's why I can't lose heart. That's why I can't grow weary in well-doing because I have heard the sound. You can't hear the sound when you're standing all up tall and proud and 
not, but when you get low to the ground, you can hear it coming. You know the value of being low to the ground? When your head's low, what takes others out misses you. Ah, my head's to the ground. When your head's low, there's less distance between your crown and his feet. When your head's low, the mark of maturity is not look at me. The mark of maturity is look unto him. The one who begun and the one who will finish is faithful in the harvest. And that's what we pray, that the Lord of the harvest would thrust out laborers into the harvest field. Yet yeah, we'll get some bad seeds. Yeah, we'll get some weeds here or there. Yeah, you'll experience some difficulty. That's what it means to be human. But don't allow it to discourage you. Friend, you're in the harvest. <laughs> right where you're supposed to be, right on time, right with God, right with God's people. And together, we're going to see this thing through. Come on, Fred, would you stand with me as we close this morning? God is at work in the Northwest. And to the increase of his kingdom and his government, there would be no end. Could I challenge you today? Keep your head low. Oh, I know you're really accomplished. Now I know you're real proud of everything that you've done. But friend, keep your head low because the harvest is coming. And when the weight of what you carry is recognized and matched by the maturity of your spirituality, you recognize that in order for me to go low, it enables him to go high. For those who will humble himself under the mighty hand of the Lord, he will promote in due time. And like the apostle Peter says, he resists the proud, but he gives grace when I'm humble. And so if all prepare the way, if all go low, if all decrease, then to his increase, there will be no end. That's the God that we serve. Carly, during worship, can you hear me on the mic? During worship, <clears throat> this is what the Lord spoke to me. It was actually during worship practice, Thursday night, the Lord spoke to me. And I heard this. <clears throat> you know, like when uh, you're running and um, you fall down or you get hit in the chest, you lose your wind. You're like, man, I got the wind knocked out of me. Uh, here's what I heard the Lord say. Gone through a season of the wind being knocked out of you, but it has grown the wineskin of your heart for fresh wind to come back in. And here's what the Lord told me during worship, because Carly sang that new song, uh, 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 All Things. And I heard the Lord say this, Carly, you didn't come to sing that song for our church today. You came to sing that song for you because he's making all things work together for the good. So I just heard the Lord say that there's expansion coming upon your life that there's a new wind, that there's new songs, that the sound that the enemy tried to steal, God is giving back. It reminds me of even when Zacchaeus gets uh, uh, wrecked by Jesus. He says, I will repay fourfold everything the enemy has taken. 
And that's what I heard the Lord say. I'm not giving you back what you had. I'm giving you back fourfold everything the enemy tried to steal. And the years that the canker worm has destroyed, God will restore. And so I say new wind, new songs, new sound. New wind, new, want, new, new songs, new sound. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. It's coming to you. And there's a new confidence coming upon your life. There's a new boldness coming upon your life. The Lord says you are not a church mouse. You're not a wallflower. Your voice is not small. I see him attaching a megaphone to your voice. He says, I'm giving you your confidence and your courage back, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And what the enemy meant to destroy you, God will use as a platform to build you. And so I just speak God's restoration over your life. Expansion is coming. You have thought too small about what's coming next. Expansion is coming. Come on, friend, would you just raise your hands all across this room? Father, we receive from you today. We say, God, do your best work. We say, God, do your best work. God, we say, kingdom come, will be done in my life, in my family, in my sphere of influence, in my church, and everywhere the sole of my foot treads, God, do your best work. We say, God, we'll stay low. You go high. God, we'll bow down and worship at your feet, for you're worthy of all honor and praise and adoration. We say, God, do your best work. And if you will be our God, we will be your people. And to your increase, there will be no end. God, we say, the harvest, the harvest is here. So now, God, thrust out laborers into the harvest field. And may the Northwest be known for an awakening of God in this hour. Come on, friend, let's worship as we close this morning.